And thanks to Cry Malt, the grain of truth in every beer, this is Radio Brews News. My name is Matt Kirkegaard, founder of Australian Brews News, and I'm joined by my other good friend and colleague and editor of Australian Brews News, James Atkinson. James, welcome back. Just you and I once again. G'day, Matt. Good to be here. How are you going? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, yeah, Prof is in the South Pacific. He's been posting. He's enjoying some craft beers uh, as part of his family holiday. He's going to be back on the weekend, so he will be back in the host chair next week. Are you basking in your award win on Friday night? Congratulations. The beeries, uh, was it like a, um, a lifetime contribution uh, to beer <laughs> in Brisbane or something along those lines, which must have probably made you feel a bit old? Oh, mate, I, I did. Well, firstly, thank you. Yes, it was a, it was a very pleasant surprise. Um, yeah, no, it was a – the, the, the beeries is an adjunct to the uh, Beer and Cider Festival that took place last weekend, and uh, with so many brewers in town – uh, Marty decided to create an industry awards night, primarily for Queensland, the Queensland industry, but with a little bit of a bleed into it. Yeah, you know, looking at the, the the best bottle shop, best bar, best beer tender, best sales rep. Um, there's a gold beery um, for the best community contributor, and yeah, it, it was an unadvertised award, but uh, I was presented with a special achievement award that yeah, sort of uh, was explained to me as being a bit of a lifetime achievement award. So yes, I was uh, feeling very, very old. And as I said in my acceptance speech, I think I've been writing about beer and talking about beer since uh, a lot of the people who were accepting beeries and a lot of people in the room, in fact, were probably legally able to drink beer. And looking at some of them, um, like Lou Clatt, who's a uh, Stone and Wood brewery rep up here, who was the best uh, brewery rep um, and a tremendously nice person but I think she's only about 23 so when I started writing about beer she was probably just entering primary school or uh, you know not even halfway through primary school so uh, yes to, to answer your question uh, feel very very old but uh, was it was yeah really really humbled and thrilled um, to be nominated and what about um, beer insider festival itself did you get did you get along to that on the weekend, I, I did. I had a lot of um, commitments over the weekend, uh, including events of my own. But uh, I got in, uh, got there just after the main band finished on Saturday evening, which was actually an interesting time to see for a couple of reasons. Uh, but have had tremendous re- reports um, from the breweries, and when you walk in, they basically take over this huge marquee that is the Royal Queensland Show's showbag marquee. Um, it's the first year that they've done it there. They had a band in there, um, range of uh, really interesting range of bands, and then the, the breweries, and then outside they've got more food. They've got food trucks. Um, they had a range of uh, spirit, you know, uh, companies and, and, and cocktails. Um, but I, I heard that they had over ten thousand in on the Saturday, um, which is a big, big uh, crowd for uh, an event. Um, tremendously well run. Um, really exciting, I guess. The one thing that made it interesting for the time that I went in there, so I was going in about 7 o'clock on Saturday night, so a lot of people had been there for a long time. And it was a bit like when you, um, you know, go and meet up with your mates who've been on a pub crawl since since midday and you kind of come in, come and meet them at the second last pub and then you're kind of like... Yeah, maybe I should have just uh, given this one a miss. Was it a little bit like that? It, it, it was very much like that. Uh, for people who know Brisbane, Gregory Terrace uh, bisects the exhibition ground. Um, and so you, you jump out of your Uber there. And it's a darkish sort of street, particularly that time of night. And a lot of people had obviously left um, after the main band. And uh, 
look, it's fair to say that the street was quite literally running in piss. Um, you know, people leaving the grounds, waiting for a cab, uh, getting caught short. And, you know, I got out of the cab and there were about half a dozen guys up against the wall pissing. Um, and as you're walking down, the piss was running down the street and <laughs> sort of running. So it was, look, you, you don't like to say these things because it is a really great event for a whole host of reasons. But it showcases um, you know, a, a couple of things that make this different to, to your regular beer event. For example, it's as much about music as it is about beer. And I can't think of any other music events, all-day music events, where they're going to be selling 7, 8, 9, 10% beers by the pot. Um, so the sizes were limited. You could get a taster or you could get a $7.50 or whatever the price was um, for a like 285ml serve or 200ml serve of beer. Um, but some of the beers were eight, nine, ten percent, and pe- some of the people who were waiting for cabs had been there for a long time. And whether they were there for the beer or the music, they'd uh, certainly been well and truly entrenched in the beer. And you know, some of the behaviour re- reflected that, which is always a bit of a concern for beer festivals, because um, we're about to, in the same position, have the Brisbane Oktoberfest or Oktoberfest Brisbane, and they're limited to beers under 4%. And that's something the organisers have actually embraced because people are there all day and they want people to have a good time. Um, but they also have a real, a, a very strong consciousness of the potential negativity around Oktoberfest and drinking. So they, they've embraced that. Um, and it was just something I think that Beer Insider probably needs to be a little bit of aware of going forward because it doesn't take too many resident complaints um, and that that is a residential street these days the exhibition grounds have been substantially redeveloped and you don't need to have too many problems at the gate of the event before beer festivals are going to be well and truly clamped and I would compare that you know for example to gabs which a four-hour session the organisers are very, very uh, conscious of it, and you know, I, I, I was, I haven't seen as much of that sort of issue outside Gabs as as I saw outside of Beer Insider. So, yeah, look, fantastic event, great for music. Um, the the brewers are all saying how well received it was, but there were those, you know, um, you know, very vis- visible street aspects that I guess we need to be mindful of for uh, for, for beer events. Yeah, and I think that's that is where Gabs really have got it right just with that four to five hour window that just sort of keeps it tidy like they do have music there and you know you can kind of notice noticeably see the vibe of the festival change a little bit over the course of that four or five hours um but i think you know when they ring that bell at the end of the session um everyone just still seem you know just maybe a little bit merry but everyone still seems to be um you know like not overly intoxicated and it just doesn't sort of end up you know you don't end up with those problems outside the event that reflect badly on the industry yeah and and, you know i mean i'm always really conscious of sounding like a wowser i mean for god's sake you know you you and i work in the drinks industry we jokingly drink for a living um and so you, you don't want to sound like a wowser but i'm also really mindful of just how um 
alcohol is being demonized and how easy it is to demonize um, sometimes. And I think that the industry needs to be really concerned about the way that it presents beer. And this this isn't something that the Beer Insider was presenting it at. It wasn't something that, um, you know, the, the, the vendors were, um, you know, the, the, the breweries that were there at. But when you hear brewers after an event saying how, how they made out like bandits and it was really lucrative for them, when they, they're typically bitching about or complaining about how expensive it is to go to these events and, oh, yeah, I'll be back next year because we made a fortune, you know that there's been a lot of beer sold. Um, and when there's something like 30 breweries that, that are there and that they're still reporting, um, you know that there's been a good crowd um, and they've also sold a lot of beer. Um, and you can't get away from the responsibility of the breweries and the um, you know organiser um, to really police that because one of those things it's very easy for beer festivals to be on the you know the, the authorities nose and once they are it's a very very hard perception to shake and craft beer has always differentiated itself from mainstream beer you know talking about blokes in bintang shirts and you don't want to see um you know you you don't want beer festivals to be associated with um street issues for example because it, it just makes it harder for everyone and it uh really defeats the cause of good beer absolutely yep totally agree anyway um mate i think we've buried the lead big news this week uh four pints takeover yeah um that was an interesting friday when i was working on a couple of other stories that were not especially urgent and i thought it was going to be a, a fairly cruisy day and don't then, you um, love it when the big stories break and you've got yeah. absolutely no notice of it yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and and uh, it's just like, okay, well, let's just change the, the complexion of the day completely. But, yeah, I mean, I think there's all, there's been a lot of speculation around Four Pines um, just, you know, given their scale as, as being a logical brewery to to be next to, um, to sell up. And, you know, I think 12 months ago there were some real rumours that they'd sold to Asahi and they even came out and – on social media and and um, basically confirm that that wasn't the case, which is interesting. The twelve month time frame is interesting because uh, when we spoke to Jaron last week and we had that quick uh, chat with him, you know, he was they'd obviously open discussions because he was uh, taken to the grand finals by CB. Yeah. So there, there's, I, I do wonder how much gaming there has been going on because I've heard from a couple of people who are in the investment circles saying that you know there have been approaches. From people, you know, that that old people associated with the, the brewery, you know, saying that there was interest and uh, whether, you know, that was about running up numbers or, you know, having, you know, making it look like there's quite a bit of competition for it to maximise the brewery. Yeah, and funnily enough, actually, I was speaking to Michael Cameron from Pirate Life this morning and he said he was, um, he and Jack Cameron were going over to the grand final and I said, oh, you're not, you're not going to be in the AB InBev, are you? Uh, <laughs> AB InBev box, are you, Michael? Because... That's what happened to Jared Mitchell, and we all know how that turned out. <laughs> and uh, he, he just laughed and said, "No, he's just going with some mates." So, so um, that's as an aside. But um, yeah, look, I mean, Jaron has confirmed that he has had talks with uh, you know with other breweries. Uh, apparently, that was earlier in the piece than than uh, sorry with other possible suitors, but but nothing that he was actually seriously interested in pursuing. Apparently, that was earlier in the piece than than this last twelve months. I think like 
the fact that ABM Bev, when they, you know, when they sort of came into the market in Australia through buying, effectively buying CUB, um, made a lot of noise around what they were going to do with their American brands, sort of led everyone to believe that that was going to be, you know, their strategy was just going to be building those American brands in the Australian market. But obviously that was going to be a, you know, that's going to be a pretty slow burn. Um, you know, like there's some brand recognition around already for something like Goose Island before they'd launched it. But, uh, you know, big breweries don't really like launching brands from a standing start, you know, if they can avoid it, if they can de-risk that whole startup phase of building a, a brewery brand by making an acquisition, then they'll always look to do that. So, um, it's in retrospect, it's not surprising that, that that's all been going, you know, along in the background. And, and look, I don't see, I mean, Four Pines has always been the logical, and that was always my tip for the, for the brewery, that if they got the right number of zeros, it was always going to go. And we're sort of approaching what I would regard as peak beer, where, you know, we're not going to see six, you know, multi-tens of billion dollar sales in Australia because the market's not that big. There's probably, you know, we, we, we saw Goat Go, um, there's probably only one or two suitors for that sort of deal going and CUB and maybe some of the Japanese breweries are, are, are that. So Yeah, I mean, I, I can't see Lion buying another brewery really, like another another big brewery. I just think that they've got, you know, enough brands that they, they um, have to work with already and they're obviously building those smaller brands themselves, and I, I can't see them buying anyone. Um, I mean, I don't know. Could AB InBev maybe buy another brewery? Possibly. I could see Asahi oh. maybe buying someone. What about? I mean, obviously Coke, Coke, uh, Coca Cola, Amatul uh, would be, or you know, Australian beer company would probably be the other logical one that, that you could possibly see uh, picking someone up. Yeah, but you do you, you do wonder if there was a mindset and. Uh, in the owners of, and whilst it's always family owned, there have been other, you know, Tagline has been family owned, there have been other investors in there. You do sort of wonder whether there was a bit of a mindset, well, if, if somebody goes before us, you know, will we be able to sell? So um, anyway, yeah, in, in interesting times, but it, it's interesting the very different strategy between Lion and AB InBev. Um, we, we've seen Lion has been, you know, they, they may have bought small little brands, so Umundi and uh, Byron Bay, were existing brands that they bought, but they certainly didn't have huge footprints, but had you know very strong potential brands. Whereas uh, CUB, AB InBev seems to want to buy big brands that, as you said, have a bit of momentum behind them. But Goose Island is, um, you know, I've already seen around much more than I would have seen Matilda Bay, for example, um, over the yeah. last uh, few years. And you know, we're, we're running a job in a, a job application this week for uh, Goose Island for their Seoul Korea brew pub. Um, mm. We know that they're active in Hong Kong. Um, you know, they really have gone big with Goose Island very, very quickly. Yep. No, that, that seems to be their lead brand that they're going with internationally across all markets. Um, I mean, I think we're still going to see some more of those American brands come in. I think is it Elysian is another one of theirs that I'm pretty sure might be on the cards sometime soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, still at the end of the day, you, you you are, you know, you're starting from a standing start. Apart from all the distribution advantages that you have, it does take a while to, um, you know, to get the brand out there in front of people and have them want to try it. Whereas Four Pines is already doing pretty serious volume, and hopefully, um, you know, CUB will be assuming that they can they could retain some of those drinkers. 
Yeah, and it, look, I don't think it's going to hurt their sales in the short term because they've never been, you know, getting most of their volume from pointy end craft venues. There, there are a few that probably, and you know, we've we've seen Corey Crooks um, at the grain store, who's a very passionate, you know, said nothing ill of them, but just said doesn't fit with our philosophy. Um, I was speaking to Black Bunny Kitchen up on the Sunshine Coast uh, on on the weekend. Uh, again, very much like the grain store, really, really passionate about what they do um, and have very strict buying conditions without saying anything negative about it just doesn't fit with what we do. So there'll be a couple of those, but I actually think we'll see a rapid acceleration as, um, you know, the big uh, mainstream pubs that you know, particularly up here, and I'm thinking of the plough inns and the sort of places that have the Carlton draft tanks in um, will suddenly, you know, add, Maybe Kolsch, which is a very popular beer, very uh, you know big selling beer, um, and the Pale Ale are two beers that will uh, move quite a bit. Any venue that has any sort of a contract with CB, um, but also has a Four Pines tap, is now able to f- fulfil their requirement. Um, you know, to to have sixty percent of the taps uh, being CB taps or whatever the case may be, with one of those being a Four Pines tap. Um, so that does actually op- open up you know, some taps to smaller breweries as well. I mean, I would imagine that they'd be wanting to uh, get you know, get these on. And uh, it's what I think, um, I'm trying to think whether it was Phil Cook in New Zealand who described it as the Potemkin village approach um, to brewing, where, you know, if you walk into a, a pub and see, you know, Forex Heavy, Forex Gold and Han Super Dry, you know straight away that you've walked into a Forex pub. But if you walk into a um, you know pub these days and see maybe Carlton Dry, Great Northern, uh, fat Yak, Lazy Yak, Four Pines, um, Pale Ale, then it actually looks like they've got a selection of beers when they're all owned by the same brewery. And that, that's a literary analogy talking about a Sar who was, um, I think Catherine the Great um, was touring her great expansive property holdings and they used to build these pop-up villages along the railway tracks to make it look like there were all of these towns along the way. And that's a little bit what the tap badges um, in contracted pubs will soon start to look like as you've got one effective owner but six or seven seeming different breweries who are represented on the tap so I think that's a big part of this sort of play as well yeah for sure I mean I think that think that's already happening you you probably would see something similar in CUB's existing um, tap lineups just with the likes of Goose, Goose Island and the Yaks and and that sort of stuff yeah, so, okay, um, well, look, interesting times, we'll, we'll see. Congratulations to uh, to Four Pines, obviously, to, to Jaron and those guys because, you know, um, they have, have worked hard and done a good job at building that brand and put out some, you know, consistently awesome beers. Like, their record at AIBA is pretty incredible. So, you know, the beers are top quality. Um, they've done a great job of building the brand and they deserve the success. No, ab- absolutely. And, you know, it's just one of those things that you can't really, much the same as Beer Inside, a fantastic festival, but I, I guess we're here to sort of discuss, you know, the ins and outs and not just the ins um, of-, of these sorts of things. Otherwise, it'd be a pretty boring podcast for mine. Um, talking about uh, next big, well, th- this is more about uh, rolling a couple of new stories in. Sponsorships. Um Big news for a couple of breweries this week. We've seen Gage Roads get the sponsorship deal for the uh, um, stadium in Perth. Uh, we've seen Green Beacon and Cheeky Monkey uh, carried on Singapore Airlines. Um, but we've also 
contrast that with the Commonwealth Games, which is taking place on the Gold Coast in Queensland, signing with Lime. I sort of didn't even bat an eyelid when I saw the, the Commonwealth Games announcement. I just kind of uh, just, I mean, that's just sort of the status quo for how beer sponsorship agreements have been done in this country um, forever and a day. Well, it's about the money, isn't it? It, it is. Absolutely. It's about the money. I mean, it, it's, you know, that they're actually paying the government for the privilege to be able to, uh, you know, to, to have access to that, to that audience. Um, and, you know, the government's not having to, you know, treat it like a, an ordinary supply agreement that would cost them money. I mean, really, it's the, you know, it's just incredible to see the likes of Gage Roads and, and there's other breweries you mentioned um, making it into what is pretty uncharted waters, really, for independent breweries in in stadiums and um, and airlines. Yeah, and look, to, to take your point about the Commonwealth Games, look, I agreed. I, I guess as a Queenslander, and this has taken place in my backyard, and you get to hear the sort of nonsense that governments always carry on about being, you know, championing their local uh, areas. And, you know, I can't think of a, of a country that has actually made money out of an Olympics or a Commonwealth Games. You know, they're, they're very expensive things to put on. Um, so on the one hand, you do get the payment up front when you've got someone like uh, Forex, but they always sell the games on the massive exposure that the place is going to get. You know, everyone's going to be coming to the Gold Coast. It's going to be shown in how many, however many tens of thousands of tens of millions of um, you know places around the around the world, and everyone's going to want to come to the Gold Coast. And you know that's a little bit dubious, and it's even more dubious when you th- can think of. You know, you can think of two substantial breweries on the Gold Coast, um, Bolter and uh, Burley Brewing, that are really closely identified with the region, um, have great stories to tell for the region. And if the government was serious in maximising the post-games benefits and capturing as much of those and that this is an investment in the future, you'd think, well, surely they're going to be doing much more to advance that cause of the stuff that they actually pay lip service to by supporting local breweries and getting those breweries very closely associated with it. Burley particularly has a beer that I would categorise as, you know, well, it's a mid-strength lager um, that would fit exactly the same role as Forex Gold. No criticism of Forex Gold, but, you know, just so, yeah, just I'm just calling bullshit on a lot of the uh, promo that the government does when they take, you know, what, what you'd think would be a, you know, a couple of million dollars up front um, but in return, uh, you know, we'll have absolutely no ongoing benefits um, to the Queensland economy post the Commonwealth Games or the, the way that supporting local breweries would. Yeah, I mean, I imagine the lead time with something like this, you know, the, the discussions with sponsors would have probably started a pretty long time ago for them to have just announced it in the last few weeks, probably really predating Bolter being an established brand. But, um, yeah, I take your point in the case of Burley. Do you think that they'd be able to, you know, fulfil the sort of volume that would be required in an agreement of this type? Oh, look, I've got – I actually think that they would, yeah. Because, well, I mean, what what sort of volumes would be, you know, in, in, involved, for example? Oh, God, I, I've got no idea. I, I don't know whether it's um, – I'm not sure that it would be anything like the 5,000 kegs – of, of different beers over five days that Gage Rhodes was required to be able to produce for a test match. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, look, I, I, mate, I would have thought that uh, Burley would be able to produce anything that uh, Gage Rhodes can do. Um, yeah, right. Partic- particularly with, with, with notice. Um, you know, they, they've expanded their brewery substantially. Um, and, you know, again, Burley is a brewery that is, you know, 
inverted commas family owned on on the Gold Coast. Um, they've got a couple of very mainstream um, skewed offerings like the the, the, the Ducellus. They've got a premium lager, and they've also got Big Head, which is a no carb lager um, that are available nationally. So it would be one that would have a lot of um, you know potential upside to to exposure at that sort of event. And the other thing is, it, it's a little bit different to a football game where I don't think people are going to you know, the equestrian events um, for the Commonwealth Games wanting to get shit-faced. Not that they're going to... But, you know, they're not, they're not going... Yourself, <laughs> they're, they're, they're not going to drink. So, yeah, so... Um, but pivoting on, on that, um, great news for the, the likes of Cheeky Monkey and Green Beacon um, getting ranged in uh, Singapore Airlines. Um, mate, do you think you would change your flight to a, an airline that had better beer? Um, it would be a consideration. I mean, I, I think that um, it, it'd be it certainly be a feel good factor for me in choosing an airline. Um, in the case of Green Beacon, it would have no influence whatsoever at this point because it's only on business class, and uh, we, we all know that for us in the you know in the Cheap in the beer writing in the beer writing <laughs> uh, trade that. Um, that business class is 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 a luxury that that we'll never be able to afford, and certainly not certainly not um, you know with with the lure of just being able to buy a nice beer when I'm there. Yeah, look, I'm really interested. I and you know, apart from being great news, I'm really interested to see how this goes um, for Green Beacon because it's interesting. They push the Wayfarer wheat up here quite a bit, and it's apparently their biggest seller in their brew pub. Um, Pete and I do the exhibition each year and uh, we've featured the Green Beacon beers and I've always found that Wayfarer wheat to that non-craft beer. If you're going to a craft brewery to have a beer, odds are you're immersed in craft beer to some extent. Um, The Ecker crowd certainly aren't and the Wayfarer wheat is a much harder sell at that generalised event than uh, Kolsch and we sell a lot more Kolsch. Is and, it American uh, wheat or a hef? Or? No, it's an American wheat. Um, it's got a bit of fruity uh, hop character, but I find for a, for a mainstream audience that isn't immersed in terribly in beer, anything with a yeast note can be a little bit harder um, sell. You know, like wheat beers, wit beers, which you think would be perfect for the Queensland climate, are a much harder sale. So yeah, look, I, I'm I'm just going to sit back and watch with great interest to see how it goes because I know that you know you, you see the Facebook forums and people say oh they should have you know this triple hopped whatever um, but you're forgetting that airlines have two or three beers that they can offer um, and as we said last week you know, if, if you're flying uh, Jetstar it's pure blonde great northern and Corona which I defy most people to pick out um, of a lineup you know blind tasting um, and that's going too similar. But at the same time, I really don't think that when you're catering to a mainstream, you can get too too out there yet because you know, you're not traveling with the craft beer bubble. Um, I, I, I'm really excited that Happy Days has, has done so well because it's a lovely beer. Yep. Just really interested to see how it goes. And, uh, and also great great news about Gay Droats. Hopefully uh, other stadiums will follow suit. Yeah, like I, you know, I just I'll be interested to see what beers they're able to um, sell at the ground because that hasn't actually come out yet. It's um, that's pending. I think whatever the licensing authorities decide in terms of whether it will be able to be full strength, you know, anywhere in the ground or just at least in the premium corporate hospitality areas of the ground or the members or or whatever it may be. Because yeah, it'd be a shame if it was just if it if it was only mid strength beer that was allowed throughout. 
because it'd be nice to yeah to be able to to be able to go to the ground and enjoy some of those great full strength gauge beers. Exactly, but again, that goes back to the beer festival. You know, if, if there yeah. is bad behaviour, um, you know, these are the reasons why it makes it hard for strong beer to get on, or you know, regular strength beer to get on because yeah. uh, of the perception. That's also where, for someone like myself, um, you know, and it's 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 not just strength that I'm talking about, but it's just also about sort of flavor. interesting beer style. Yeah, flavour, just just flavour some beer styles. Um, there is that situation now that that sporting grounds and sporting clubs and sporting codes find themselves in where they need to be a little bit they they need to be aware of the fact that if i can be at home um you know in front of my 50 inch television and um drinking the ipa that i want to drink and ordering any food that i want from uber eats or whatever it is then why would i go to the ground and and have and have a you know less less a choice in food drink and everything else so i think that's kind of where um, sport in Australia will have to follow in the footsteps of the US a little bit in in um, giving people more choice. And, and that's a, that, mate. That is a really good point because it is. Um, it's like um, gambling. People don't go to the pub tabs anymore um, because you can do it on your phone. And if the reason for going to the pub isn't the pub tab, then you need another reason to go there. Um, and craft beer is an entertainment and it's a crowd puller it, it, if it's done in the right thing. So if the experience of going to the football is you know, particularly if your team's not winning, um, dodgy beer that's overpriced, dodgy food that's overpriced, you know, why would you go when, when you can watch it at home uh, quite happily? Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, good point. Hey, um, we've got to go to make way for our uh, guests, but we do have a couple of um, something in our mailbag. So our new producer, Joe can dazzle us with her mailbag theme. I turn on my computer... I go online. Welcome. Welcome. And my breath catches in my chest until I hear three little words. You got, got mail. Got a nice email last week, James, from uh, Simon Godden, who lives in Gerringong, New South Wales. Um, hi, Matt. Enjoyed your discussion this week with James and was particularly interested, uh, brackets, I guess, with Four Pines Sale in the back of my mind, in the commentary Independent versus Craft. I, like many others it seems, indicated in the recent beer cartel survey that independence matters to me when it comes to beer purchase decision making. It struck me while listening to you and James chat, however, that what I was really thinking about when answering the survey the way I did was my avoidance of beers and beer brands, which have really had their genesis from within a conglomerate stable, rather than beers and breweries which have originated from within the craft scene and have then been taken over by the big guys. Would I buy Goose Island or Four Pines for that matter because they're now owned by ABI? No, I, I don't think I would. I would, however, watch or perhaps more accurately taste with interest to see if the changes in ownership lead to a dumbing down of flavour, as I and many others believe have happened with Little Creatures, for example. I don't buy Little Creatures anymore because there are lots of other options in the same space which taste better, not because of a change in ownership. I've never been a big fan of Four Pints for that matter, so either way it won't make a big difference to me. It was, though, interesting to realise the level at which independence does matter. If it means better beer, then I'm all for it, otherwise it would be enough to split decision between beers. But it's not really that big a deal for me. As always, thanks for the podcast. It continues to be my favourite source of beer news. So thank you, Simon. Yeah, some interesting points in there, James. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, don't know whether I have much to add to what Simon said there so eloquently. What's your thinking? Uh, Prof and I have discussed it uh, in the past. Little creatures, dumbed down or not? I don't think that it's been dumbed down per se. Um, yeah, look, look, I, I, I mean, I'm 
I'm not sure. I'm sure that there's probably been some changes just as a result of moving to different hops, um, which there always were uh, throughout the, the life of Little Creatures Pale Ale anyway. And, yeah. you know, brewing it in a couple of locations, probably make it a much bigger volume brand and needing access to a lot more hops probably involves some kind of compromises. But I don't I don't know that there's been a deliberate decision to, to dumb it down. And, and that's the thing. There's a lot of pejorative in dumbing down. Um, yeah, it's, it, it may have changed a little bit. I don't think it's a lesser beer. Um, and it, in fact, whenever I do taste tests, for example, with um, you know, blind tastings with Sierra Nevada, um, it tends to do you know compare very very favorably when it's a blind tasting so uh yeah so simon thank you for your email and uh, yeah maybe yeah uh, get see if you can grab yourself some um sierra nevada and do your own blind tasting and see whether you can actually taste a a, a difference uh, when you do it that way we do have a we had a comment on itunes we didn't we did yes yeah, first one this year so uh geez i wouldn't be trumpeting that too loudly <laughs> uh, mate, as i said if you don't discuss the ins and outs you're just discussing the ins and outs of boring podcast <laughs> um but yeah mate, it's, it's a big call to have people listen and then go to itunes and and, and leave a review so uh I, I think the fact that we've got so many um and we're up to almost 40 now uh is pretty good i mean we the, the downloads are in the uh approaching a thousand a week so you know we're um so, yeah so uh you know it's still a small but but you can go and leave a review for us on itunes um if you want to or just send us an email care of producer at bruisenews.com.au but anyway bomber watson uh, this is a great podcast for anyone interested in the Australian beer landscape, a nice mixture of current going-ons, interviews with industry leaders, and some good quality banter. That must have been when I was on holidays. Um, this podcast <laughs> has certainly helped reshape my opinion for the better on many subjects, including big beer's involvement in craft. Thank you, and keep up the good work. Um, Bomber Watson, and as always, let's see what else Bomber has given a review to. Nothing. There you go. So it's, wow. it's his first review. So thank you, Bomber. I really appreciate it. Glad you enjoy the show. Um, now, James, we are going to be speaking to, talking trademarks this week on Beer is a Conversation. Yeah, James Omond, um, who is a fairly prominent trademark lawyer. I, I suppose we're able to say that he, he has acted for Stone and Wood. However, we obviously won't be able to speak um, to any of the specifics of, of that particular case. And I need to flag as well that I was a expert witness that uh, was called by Stone and Wood, but as an impartial uh, expert witness for the for the court. Um, so yes, I will uh, ring that bell. But uh, yeah, with so much happening in the uh, intellectual property space, it seemed a good idea to have an interesting, just a general chat with James um, about trademarks and trademark law and why registering a trademark or enforcing a trademark may not necessarily be, you know, increasing bastardry in the ranks of the craft beer world. Um, so stay tuned for that and uh, jump over to Beer's a Conversation and learn all you ever wanted to know about trademarks. So, uh, well, James, mate, thank you very much for uh, getting me through a podcast as host. And uh, next week you'll have the dulcet tones of Pete Mitchum in the uh, director's chair. Oh, thank God for that. <laughs> <laughs> so you'd better make the most of your last and we're out because uh, Prof won't let you uh, get away with that next week. All right, I'm ready. Well, look forward to chatting next week. Thank you for your time. Thank you, listeners. And uh, yeah, we look forward to talking to you uh, about all of the beer news next week. And we're out. Nice one. That was a high level of dulcetivity. <laughs>